My name is Kelly Borden, and this is Let's Deconstruct a Story, a podcast for the story nerds. Aspiring writers need to understand the components of a good story before they can write one. Choices of point of view, plot, setting, and tone are crucial. In each episode, I'll be interviewing a writer about one of their own stories, which will be available for listeners to read for free on my website before they listen. That's www.kellyforden.com backslash blog. Or you can just Google Let's Deconstruct a Story and you'll find us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is produced in collaboration with me. I do this by myself in order to learn more about short stories and connect with other writers. I'm happy to offer this as a service to other writers, but it does cost me a little bit of money. I work with sound engineer Elliot Bansell, who does an amazing job, and I have to pay him for his services. So I would deeply appreciate even the smallest donation if you are enjoying this podcast. You can make the donation on my website. Again, that's www.kellyforden.com. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Kelly Forden, and I'm here today with Jason Ocker, and we are talking about his fantastic story, People Machines, uh, which was in Story South. It just came out. Yeah, I think it was uh, the beginning of July, so it's been out for about a month or so. Okay, it's such a great story, and there's so much to talk about. It's one of those stories that I was reading, and I kept thinking, oh my gosh, there's more. I don't know if we can get through it <laughs> in 45 minutes, but yeah. but um, there's so much well, to know, unpack. We could we for sure try our best. I, I I can be pretty, you know, concise in answering questions. But first thing I want to do is, is is say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It really means a lot to me that that you would invite me to be able to talk about this story. So uh, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, to to parse through this this piece with me. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's my pleasure. It's I learned so much from doing this and especially this story. Um, okay, so I wanted to start at first, I thought, I would start with the beginning, but I think I want to I want to go back to that first sentence later and just sort of talk about some of the smaller parts of the story and then get into some of the overarching themes. The first question I had was about the unraveling. He talks about what I think is a personal unraveling, but might be an un- unraveling on a larger scale. But can you tell me a little bit about what is going on? in his life in the beginning and the unraveling that's taking place. Sure. um, This story kind of came to me in 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 two different ways. There there were were sort of like the the national attention of of the world around me and then personal. And so, you know, normally when I'm not certain about how I feel about things that are going on is I'll kind of chase after them a little bit in story form and try to figure out like, well, you know, what is it that I'm interested in and how do those things um, guide me as, a, as I'm moving along in story? And so for me, I mean, this this story kind of started with the lizard people, actually. And I thought it was a strange phenomenon. And, and when, I, when I look nationally at these these creatures called lizard people and, I, and this, this fascination with lizard people and, and humans that were actually lizards and it, it at first it was a joke, it seemed like a joke, because I remember as a kid, that was a jokey thing where there was the show called V. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm dating myself there, but these were, you know, humans that were actually aliens and they were, you know, taking over. But it, it seems to me that the shift in a kind of a rise in, um, in conspiracy has un- it unsettled me, it has been mm-hmm. unsettling. Me. And, and so 
that juxtaposed, that's at the national level, but that juxtaposed with uh, a personal loss, right? My, I, I lost my father in 2019, passed away. Mm. I didn't have a particularly good relationship with him. You know, we, mm-hmm. we weren't very close at all. Uh, mm-hmm. In many ways, he always was, was a bit of a mystery to me. He was always a kind of a story in and of himself. So I think that in, as I was trying to sort of parse through the and, and process, like the passing of my father, mixed with this strange, you know, belief system that, that seems to be inculcated in, in spaces nationally. I don't know. I, I use those two uh, those two uh, curiosities to wade into the story. And, and the unraveling, that would then be, yeah, the the, the, the quick sort of uh, explication as to what happened to, to our guy Emery and, and how you know, it became sort of the bedrock for his his transformation and his mm-hmm. his ability or inability to try to you know, grapple with um, his alcoholism. Right, right. And okay, so that just, I'm going to just segue into all these small questions first. So Emery sure. and Ulrich, um, the names that you chose for those characters, I'm just curious, did they come from anything specific or did you just pick those names out of thin air or? For better or worse, I've been a fan of strange names. I, you know, t- to me, I, I want that that character to, you know, I, I don't want you to know a whole lot of, of, of Ulrichs. I'm sure maybe you do know an Ulrich out there, but, but I, don't, <laughs> I do um, not. <laughs> you don't know any Ulrichs yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, to, to be honest, I, I think they came from, from thin air. But yeah, to, to me, I don't know any of them that are there. So yeah, I, I, I like to have names that are distinctive. And so for me, what happens then is if you choose a name that's distinctive, you might have a better chance of uh, starting to create characters that also, by attrition, become distinctive themselves. And so, you know, that's if so I can smart. create, yeah. if I have like, yeah, well, I mean, if it's Bob, then like, oh, there's Bob. You know, uh, you know right. uh, I, I think the challenge is not to do it overly deliberately so that it becomes a caricature, right? And I mean, I think that's the kiss of death in, in, in short stories and in writing in general, when when you slide into the, the business of creating caricatures. And this was a, a challenging story for me in that regard, because I think that, you know, as I was starting to get into Ulrich, as I was starting to kind of like, you know, scratch at the surface of some of these tertiary characters, I wanted to make sure that they were fully rounded. And, and I didn't want to, you know, create them as like, hey, let's let's poke fun of that. Like, I don't, never want to wink at the at the reader and say like, oh, let's look at these clowns. So so to me, you know, it's I, in some ways it, it starts with the name, but it really is sort of figuring who they are. And Ulrich's names changed a couple of times before I, I sort of landed on that. Um, Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it just was really like, I'm able to better understand and fully see some of the, you know, the uh, parameters of the story when a character kind of rises off the page for me. And the name helps that. Yeah, no, that's such a great idea, actually. I, you know, of course, because there was so much symbolism in the story and there were so many things to uh, investigate <laughs> while I was reading, I also investigated those names. So I was just wondering if there was any particular symbolism, but I really like that idea that you use distinctive names because then you don't associate the name with anything else. Like everybody knows a Bob. So immediately, yeah. you know, their uncle Bob might come to mind, but yeah. You that's know, a- Kelly, for, for me too, so much of writing is like a baton, right? And you're, you're kind of in a, a relay race and you're kind of handing a baton as you're trying to escalate the story and move towards that, that end game that you have with it. And if I'm going to introduce a weird character like Agathocles, and I've just you know introduced characters that were named like, you know, 
Ben and, and Frank or whatever. You know, <laughs> it's it's a huge it's a huge jump from like yes. you know day uh, gothically. So, but if I've already kind of introduced uh, an oddity in names, then then maybe I can that baton can be handed a little bit better to the the real strange, right? The real right. unusual that, that I'm now gonna gonna try to introduce in the story. Right. It's kind of like a slow slide into the surreal, you know, if I could say that without yep. lisping, <laughs> but it is, yeah, yeah, you're kind of, you're a little bit off balance from the names, from, from everything that's happening. Okay. So I was really struck by this playing with both hypnosis, you know, the idea of being hypnotized, the idea mm -hmm. of having a job in which you kind of float off or what he said, um, mm -hmm. I'm a floating man. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously the altered state of being an alcoholic. So were you just, I, I'm curious what you were thinking was happening to him in terms of all those things. In my mind, I was trying to, I, I guess, inhabit his world to the best of my ability. And, and in inhabiting his world, I was inhabiting an echo of, my father's world in, in that he was an alcoholic, he struggled his whole life. And, and and so, you know, trying to kind of grapple with a disassociation with versions of ourselves, um, to me, seemed to keep cropping up as who this guy was. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, like, the, the first thing I wanted to do, one of, one of the things that I do in my own stories, it, it seems it's valuable to me, is to find work, like, where, where's the job? I've always found jobs in, in places of work to be good anchors for stories. And they're normally unusual jobs. But so as I started to think of like the dead endedness of working uh, a job in which you do not really necessarily need to think, you just kind of like working, what happens? You know, where do we go? Where do we disassociate? And I think for someone who is uh, uncertain who he is in the new version of himself that he's trying to kind of grapple with, that disassociation became important. And mm -hmm. um and I, and I wanted to sort of have it at the job. And then later we're going to see that disassociation that, that, that comes out as, as the story progresses. Um, but this, yeah, I mean, this, this idea of hypnotism to try to cure addiction, um, you know, it, it's a legitimate thing. People people do try that. And mm -hmm. um, in fact, my father did try that. And um, so so that was uh, that to me kind of I saw some sort of parallel between like purposefully trying to you know, shut a version of yourself off as opposed to like, you know, when, when you're in the space of work, it just kind of, you, you kind of transport yourself else out there. So that, that was it. Like those things started to kind of like get some energy as I was thinking through the story. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of played with that. And did you have the idea that, that you might be hypnotized and something else might transpire? Cause I was thinking, was he being led in a different direction when he was hypnotized too? You know, you sort yeah, of like, definitely, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, because I do think that there's some, um, there was some idea of, of like, well, if if you're an alcoholic and your your job is to just not drink, just don't have another drink, and and I think that there's a version of you who does drink, and and mm -hmm. and like every day, I think you're kind of reminded that if you you know sl slide back into this you know former version of yourself then you will you will have parts of yourself that are that, that you will lose and i right. think when you get to when you do slide as this character does you know then you start making up all kinds of excuses as to the, like why the slide actually wasn't your fault and and so right. now you can say like and so he does he, he he starts thinking of like at some point as he's as he's working through like some of the circumstances of his life i think that hypnot that that moment of hypnotism for him it gave him a bit of solace that that maybe there was something in him that was not turned on, but was turned off. And, and mm -hmm. I, it's a kind of an excuse to maybe, uh, you know, 
participate in whatever reckless behavior he's about ready to participate in. So that's what I was aiming for. And, and I and I think that, you know, uh, in the first person point of view, you know, hopefully the story kind of comes across as a confessional. And so, you know, as I'm moving in that direction, the reader too starts to question, what are these versions of himself? Um, and, and what will happen when that hypnotist does come back around? Yeah, it's fascinating because it's like a cognitive dissonance that he has. Did you tr experiment with other points of view or, I mean, it made perfect sense to me and it seemed fantastic that it was first person. We're about a third of the way through the story. You know, when we find out that he had yelled at them, goddamn lazy ass, no good. So we're kind of lulled into his point of view. Mm -hmm. And then we mm -hmm. find out, wow, okay, this guy is really an awful person. <laughs> I mean, not awful yeah. person, but struggling with an addiction that makes him really mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, you know, that, that that's one of the challenges with this. You know, I, I, I always, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing, I always look for angles that I haven't really done before. And this is uh, unfamiliar terrain for me writing first person. I almost always write in third person. And I almost always write in present tense. So first person, past tense to me was... Uh, was a little different. I, I don't trust myself when I write first person because I, I like to have a little bit of an emotional distance from the mm -hmm. characters. I feel like I can pop into different heads a little bit more accurately. So when I do a first person, it seems like it can be really heavy. And and this story, you know, is is definitely that. Um, so but that that's on on one hand. And and um, but just going back to sort of like Emery and like you know his uh, the caliber of his character, mm -hmm. I think that's a hard part too. You know, to kind of like can we look at a character who is kind of awful. Right. And, right. and try to see if there's some something not necessarily redemptive about that, because I think that's that's minimalizing it. But but like, let's look at the ways in which, you know, a person can get lost and can be susceptible to conspiratorial theories. And what does that mean? Like, how, how do we how do we figure that out? Is there room for empathy for someone who maybe is is in the process of losing their way? Right. And I think you created that because, you know, we're we're already attached to him. And I was feeling sorry for him, you know, mm -hmm. when we found out exactly how bad this was for his kids. So yeah. I, I just thought that was pretty masterfully done. When we were just talking, I realized I didn't ask you for anyone who doesn't know about the lizard people. I should probably say, mm -hmm. what were the lizard people? Just so they know what's going on there. Oh, yeah. Lizard people. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is just another one of the, the weird sort of strange things that float into and out of our uh, our contemporary times. And, and, and I think that there's been a, a move to suggest that the government has people there that are alien lizards who are controlling, uh, you know, different facets of the world, like political leaders are not actually people, they're actually lizards, and they're from another planet trying to control the world. And some of these things have been floated as half serious. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, to me, I'm an absurdist, right? So so for me, when I look at that, there's a level of absurdity to me that has energy in it. And so I think that that shift from like, hey, okay, this is a kind of a, an interesting concept. Let me just use the word interesting there. An interesting mm -hmm. concept that's being floated. And back in the day, it, it was something that was just the, the stuff of science fiction. It was the stuff of, you know, people who were interested in UFOs, right? It kind of started from that. It goes way back. There's this, right. this guy that created this idea for it. So but when I started to see it kind of coming along and, and it seemed like people were putting more stock into it as a possibility, that with a whole host of other kind of conspiracies that were on the rise, I started to think like, well, this isn't laughable. There's there's an element of like kind of like laughing at this. 
but there's a kind of a danger too. And and so for me, I tried to take the subject very seriously. And, and while I don't believe in these ideologies, I, I wanted to sort of like figure out like who would and, and how do we how do we not just treat them as as sort of like a you know somebody to kind of like point point the finger at and laugh at, but let's try to look at like the underlying causes of right. somebody who's, who's trying very hard to to believe in a thing that that seems preposterous on the on the outside. Mm-hmm. And how did you come up with the microcosm of the toothpick factory? Yeah, <laughs> um, well, you know, for, for me, I've always liked toothpicks. I've, I've had toothpicks since I was a kid. So there, there's something about when when I'm writing, um, I like at least some element of the story to have something that's ubiquitous mm-hmm. that like anybody at any time in their day, they can actually go and they run across something that, um, you know, that's, that's part of their everyday life. And to me, the, the toothpick struck me as a perfect type symbol in, in many ways because um it's uh it's something that you know it's, it's everywhere it, and <laughs> yeah it, and, and now i'm never going to use one again but no I'm yeah just... <laughs> right you know <laughs> I'm people, people are never gonna i've, I've ruined toothpicks for people so <laughs> right. but, you know i mean you know it, it's interesting to me I, I find that kind of stuff fascinating you know because objects carry emotional weight you know the other day i was out and i was i was walking and i was kind of like near the dentist or whatever and this bird it was a um it was a mockingbird it just mm-hmm. it like dove at me and i i mean it really was i mean sometimes the birds come in and you're like oh you know it's gonna fly away but it was like trying to attack me and, and, wow. and, and I, like I, I took a step back i'm like what's going on here so i waited for a minute and then it kind of circled around and then it like you know i really if i wasn't gonna move it was gonna you know bite my eye oh out my or something gosh. Like that. but right so once I got out of harm's way, I was clearly near a nest or something. It, 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 the first thing that came to me, of course, was the birds, right? And, and right. I thought of like I thought of like the terror that that movie, right? And based, of course, on a book, but that movie kind of instilled in me. And 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 even in this moment of panic, not panic, but like of of strangeness, the first thing I came to was, was something that was art, and that that to me, I think, is really awesome. To be able mm-hmm. to create something that when you are in that world, that story or that that narrative, it becomes a part of the world in which you're living. And, and I think when you have that, you know, the, the writer, the artist, they've been really been successful because it's not really about like, hey, Alfred Hitchcock and the, the shots, but just that concept and how it is now part of your life. And when you can do that, if you, if you can like make the world that you've created on the page somehow crop up in ordinary everyday kinds of ways then I think you have a better shot of, of having that story transcend just the, you know, the, the thing that you've created. So for me, I always try to find something in there that I think is going to be uber or uber relatable because, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm going to ask you to believe in something that's not relatable at all, I'm going to have to do the work of it for, at, you know, at, at first getting you into that space of familiarity before I can defamiliarize. And so to me, um, it's in my wheelhouse, right? Toothpicks are in my wheelhouse. <laughs> right. and, uh, yeah, and yeah. working dead on jobs, that's in my wheelhouse, right? You know, and, and and writing about, you know, broken men, ah, wheelhouse. So so those things are all like I use that as kind mm-hmm. of like now that's the solid ground that I try to then what you know trick the, the reader into to walk in with me into the, you know, the um the unfirm ground, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff that I don't know anything about, you know. And and, and that's that's the the you know, the thing that I try to build out into the you know, the, the thinner part of the branch. So is that in your background? Then you've worked in a factory setting before, as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, 
Yeah, I was, I was uh, you know, um, I, I started working when I was pretty young. I was like 12 when I started, you know, working just uh, jobs. And, and this was in South Florida. Um, I was born in Indiana and, and then I moved down to South Florida when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And um, I just started working early, you know. Um, I, mm-hmm. I worked for, you know, a diner. I worked as a, um, worked in construction, uh, you know, worked at an animal hospital, pharmacy. The job became a very important place for me to uh, learn about people. I didn't know it at the time, of course, but but it was it was really valuable to be able to understand like what well, expectations of what you are when you punch in and the expectations of of who you are when you punch out and and how the job kind of carried over into my life and interacting with people who um, you know they, they were lifers. You know, I went right. to Chick Fil A and like you know these folks are here. And so I, it occurred to me like I know I was a tourist, but there was something about the job that it gave me access and entryway to uh, personal lives. And I don't think I took that for granted. You know, I, I was, I've always been relatively curious about human behavior and, and I found a lot of it on the job. And so, yeah, now there certainly were, were jobs. I never worked at a toothpick factory, but right. I would. Uh, <laughs> 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 right. So was there that rhythm, that, that disappearance of the self, if you lose track of what you're doing, obviously everything goes off track. So yeah. You just get into a rhythm. You're just, it's sort of a meditative feeling. Is that what, how yeah. you would describe it? No, I, I think that's right. And I think, again, I do think that that's relatable. I, I think lots of hundreds of thousands of people are doing jobs in which, you know, they're they're checking out a little bit, but, you know, for, mm-hmm. for a whole host of reasons, this this work needs to get done. And, you know, this, this assembly line processing of the self is, it's, I think it's familiar terrain. And um, yeah. so I wanted, I wanted to, you know, situate, uh, situate my character there. And to me, I just think like a toothpick factory is just cool. I mean, I'm like, I don't I do know. Too. And here I am, with the tooth- <laughs> you know, like a, with, with some of the toothpick factories. So that's it. I mean, there's, there should be some joy in writing, you know, and, 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 and learning. I, I learn, I learn from my story, you know, as I'm finishing it, even rereading this story for, for our discussion, there were elements of this that I'm like, Oh, wow. I didn't even know what I was doing that. So for right. me, the story is is always kind of you know i think there's some beauty in that selfish one from the writer's point of view but there are elements of it that i'm learning about myself as i'm going along but stuff i don't know about like toothpicks uh, and toothpick factories and, and you know tyrants from 300 bc those yeah. things too are kind of fun to put into a, a kind of a conversation as i'm as i'm as i'm moving along okay so tell me a little bit about the research in terms of the toothpick factory and uh, in terms of the uh tyrant from ancient times <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is unbelievable unbelievable when i read about it, i was like oh my god he uh, had three oh. wives and he had <laughs> oh you google so you googled this oh i did yeah, yeah. well i wasn't yeah. i was not familiar with him and i just could yeah. not it's, it's it's stunning really <laughs> yeah i know it's wild right i mean yes and, and uh it struck me as is I'm just it was one of those like you know pieces of literary gold you know because mm-hmm. when I when I had the plays I knew where I wanted to be but I mean you know for me what I love about the short stories is urgency and immediacy and the sooner you introduce trouble the better and so I didn't know where where my trouble was and then so my brain started to think in terms of like well I mean you know here you are with a toothpick imagine it you know being a tool with which you could create that kind of trouble and. Um, and I remember, like when I was a kid, I, I remember reading about how Sherwood Anderson died because he mm-hmm. swallowed a toothpick. And uh, I mean, didn't die originally from that, but like it, it kind of like was a cause of his, his death. And so I was right. like, there was a str- that was kind of a strange way to go, I, I thought. And so, so I don't know. I just it just in doing research of like who has ever you know died from toothpick, I uh-huh. hear you know, this guy came up, right? He just no kidding. Kind of, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's purported again. None of the records here are, are a bit shaky, but it's purported that they uh, his son poisoned the toothpick and that he was picking teeth or whatever, and that was you know part of the cause of his death. So you know, it, it was interesting to me. That was just something that I discovered in kind of like going down the rabbit hole, and and uh, and he just kind of kept. You know, he kept cropping up as like this possible specter from past that right. could fit into this world that I already created. So that was just a, I already had the world and he kind of became someone that I discovered. And once I discovered him, I just, I knew now it's not a question of whether or not the character was going to be you know, part of the, of the narrative, but how, how can I convincingly render him into the story? So that's kind of how I operate. You know, I, I always try to look at like, well, is this too far out? Like, where where is this? Is this absurdity, or where am I stretching? You know, plausibility too far. You know, right? And there are certain moments where I'm like, I, I know I got to have this, so I'm going to do everything else in the story to try to like accommodate this this idea. And again, with my style of writing, I, I kind of look for those moments um, where they do seem implausible and stretch that plausibility as as much as I can. And but there are certain elements I'm like, okay. I will rearrange the story, but this has got to this has got to work because um, again, there was a lot of energy in, in me thinking about him and thinking well, about this guy. I mean, I almost have the chills. I mean, I really do because it just doesn't even seem possible that in this time, uh, at you know, at at this time in America, that you could come up with yeah. him. With him, I mean, he's just absolutely perfect. It's bizarre. It, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like. Apparently Machiavelli wrote about him, you know, and so I, I think in many ways that was in some ways how he was kind of historically kind of situated. So, you know, it, it, it was. So I'm glad. I'm glad that yeah. uh, it, it resonates with you. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. So as you were crafting it, so now you've got the toothpicks, you've got him. And then what made you then go from that to this group of people who um, have the idea. And uh, as you know, everyone will have read the story beforehand, so I'm not giving anything away. But yeah. um yeah, all these people who think, okay, the chosen will, you know, <laughs> survive the toothpick and I mean all that yeah. that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that that's um that's a good question. Um to me it, it it really started with just coming up with a logic system that mm -hmm. that was was sort of centered around a small group of people who were in some in this isolated echo chamber and then kind of blowing that up. And so like the first thing I had to do is figure out like, well, what is the logic of the, the people who work at this toothpick factory and, and how have they come to sort of believe in this this concept? And I, right. I mean, I started thinking of this and trying to figure out like, well, wh why do they need it? You know, that, that that to me became the bigger question. Like, why why do we need to believe these things that are um, just really it's so fringe, these fringe concepts and ideas? And that's yeah, that's when I started doing the work of, of like trying to, to think through how a void in our lives can mm -hmm. can be filled with something that only makes a tiny bit of sense but you can you can kind of fervently believe in it and you kind of get caught up in it because ultimately that that void that that is left or that lack that is in your life that can be filled in by somebody that has an ulterior motive and right. so that to me was like so, so i got that that made sense to me but trying to kind of then piece together like the logic of what these people were actually trying to do it just started to gain momentum in my mind well, you have this access to like, you know, millions of people ostensibly when you're making these toothpicks. And so you, even though you feel like you're extraordinarily small, you're a cog in a kind of a wheel, 
you know, if, if, you're, if you're, your hands are literally touching, you know, something that's going to then go and can go into the mouths of like lots of people. <laughs> they're, they're, to, me, to me, that idea of like individuals who are being able to or are, are capable of touching large, large number of people uh, physically, that then kind of translated into like, well, what about psychologically and, and what about emotionally? And, and that's where I started to kind of gather some steam about like, well, what, what's going on with this? And, and then, you know, the whole thing for me was really just trying to get Emory right. And um, again, just to have some empathy for, for how one, how a person can lose their way and, um, you know, alcoholism and addiction and, and mm-hmm. some of like the very real things. Because I think, and I don't, I don't want to go too long. I, I think that, I think that there's a level of escapism, right? When, when, when we want to believe in a kind of a lizard people, it's escapist. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's right. thinking that the, the world is more more interesting and mysterious and, and dangerous than it actually is. And, and I think that I think readers believe that, too. I think we read in, in some capacity to, to, to help to enter into another life. So while it's foreign, I, I, I don't think it's so you know, dis- from, you know, unfamiliar that we can't kind of start to like you know, make some odd connections between the desire to not be ourselves and to kind of like fall into the trap of somebody else's manipulations. Mm hmm. No, that makes sense to me. So, so logically, as they're doing this, they think the people who are not poisoned will join the group, right? Yeah, Is that yeah. Their thought? <laughs> I, I think that, well, at least at least this uh, the subset of them, and and sort of like that's that's what's kind of being passed around. Um, so, and of course, another thing that I'm I'm talking about here is I'm not just looking at the the, the smallness of a, of a town. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also looking at social media, and I think that it's impossible to to think about the ways in which conspiracy theories rise and fall without, you know, uh, investigating the ways that um, social media and that 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 echo chamber and that that megaphone that that people are given um, they can have of an effect. And so, so while we're starting here in the smallness of this this space, Henry uh, mm-hmm. it, it grows, and and I think that 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 part of it, the social media and how people are sort of like spinning these narratives around that, that, that became the, the, hopefully a little bit more of the escalation of the, of the urgency of the story. And the stakes started to kind of rise a little bit, uh, raise a little bit uh, in that regard. Absolutely. And then, okay. So then we get to the mirror mask and the uprising at the end. Yeah. So tell me, you know, because you could read it a a million, I think you could read it a lot of different ways. And I think that's actually a strength of the story. Uh, So he sees himself in the mirror mask. And I wasn't, I was like, is he the leader? Is he a follower? (laughs) For a while there, I didn't know. So then I thought, okay, I'm just going to ask (laughs) you. (laughs) you. (laughs) That's the fun of doing these. I could just ask you. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) could have been either. Could have been either a little bit. I don't know. Well, for for me, I I, for sure, and and I appreciate you, you know, kind of puzzling through that. Um, Mm. Because to me, I think that the best part of the story is that you know you're left with questions at the end of it. I think that's a good thing, specifically yes. about the short story form. That that like there are good questions that you're left with at the end of the story, and there are bad questions that you're left with at the end of the story. Um, and so somebody who writes, at least in the style that I do, you have to kind of be cognizant of that. Am I given enough, or 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 is is the reader going to be you know left kind of kind of uh, unfairly treated? And in my mind, for sure, you know, he is this version, like this, this, uh, this hypnotist is a, is a version of himself. And this person that he's seen is, is a rendering or sort of a recapitulation of that, that version of himself. So, so no, and, and I think it's at this point, you know, that Emery has, he has taken the stakes and he's, he doesn't remember a lot of the things that he's doing because he's blacking out a little bit, you know, right. sliding a little bit of alcoholism. But in my mind, 
there he he is a version of uh, of Emery, and he's and, and as he's following and kind of doing the things that he's doing in this uprising, those are all just versions of himself that, that mm-hmm. are doing it. But I think that to me that 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 kind of makes it a little bit less exciting than to think like there actually is this you know, Gothiclean you know leader who is going to set these people free. That I, I want there to be. That's the hard part here is because. For this story to succeed, you kind of have to let go of your own belief systems and ride along with somebody who is, you know, a little bit unreliable to say the least. And right. so, so yeah, I, I think hopefully that's that's part of the thrill of like parsing through that. And I think, you know, so for me, one of the big challenges of this story was it was never sitting right with me. And when I first wrote this story, it didn't have the, the bookends here. It didn't have like the beginning of the story and the ending of the story and, and it had it positioning him in that jail. So, so for me, it was never, it was never right. It's kind of ended it, just sort of ended it in that moment. It was too mm-hmm. vague. And so, so I think one of the biggest, you know, changes in this story was, was that frame that I put around this. Yes. So yep. Gave me the opportunity to maybe kind of like, you know, show a version of himself outside of that space of this uprising, if you will, and allowed me to have that beat afterwards. Before the story ended, it just ended on that beat. And so it, it was a little too amorphous. So so this frame allowed me to kind of slow things down at that climax and then back up a little bit before mm-hmm. getting to the, 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 the final scene and the, and the gesture there. Yeah. So, so I don't tell, know if that tell, the question. Yeah, no, 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 it totally does. And um, well, then we can go back then and talk about the um, beginning. I used to receive hundreds of letters addressed to someone who died a long time ago. At first, I let them pile up in a heap unopened. Eventually, the mountain of mail took over my cramped space. When I couldn't stand the sight any longer, I read them one by one. They were from all over the country by people who wanted me to save them. To a few devotees, I wrote back. I tried to explain how they were wrong, how I was wrong, how everything went wrong. So it it was fascinating to me to read that again after reading the story because um, the last line is, I turned away from my reflection and I took the red strikes from the hypnotist, struck a match and slid it in with the toothpicks. I did this again and again and again until there was nothing left. So, okay, I'll just, I always do this at the risk of sounding like really dumb, but I'm going to do it. So, okay. So he, I was thinking and I'm, I wasn't sure, you know, he Mm -hmm. has, he is sliding into this state of addiction and he's blacking out and doesn't know what's going on. And yet I thought, okay, well, if he, received hundreds of letters he somehow got other people to go along with him i mean if that's if that's real so meanwhile while he's completely unraveling falling apart he's somehow convincing other people to go along with him and when he's in jail he is receiving mail from them yeah is that correct yeah okay (laughs) okay because i I, 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 yeah okay i think that in, in 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 my rendition of this he he sets the the, the, the toothpick factory is going to catch fire. And, and and those people that do have this belief system, they kind of in some ways position him as the, the uh, as a Gothicles in many ways. Mm-hmm. He becomes, you know, that, that epicenter for their thoughts and their, their philosophies of these people machines. And so he becomes a minor hero, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in a short span of time. And he, I think he is trying to sort of like work through how he has become this person who is sort of emblemized as the as the leader of this, you know, half-baked notion. And so mm-hmm. the only way to do it for him was really to go to jail. And and so like, you know, when, when, he, when he ends in jail, like, um, that, that gives him a chance to, well, it really is the best place for him because like the, the, 
all of the different ways, all the different versions of himself that he was having real trouble, like, you know, being part of, like he, he wanted to be a good husband. That didn't work out right for a mm-hmm. whole host of reasons, but he wanted to be a, a good father. But, you know, even when he was, uh, you know, recovered, he still was kind of sucking at it, you know, and he, he wanted to have a good job, but, you know, he's fired. So there's all these things that he wanted to be. And, and I think in, in this case, he, I don't know that he wanted to be and, and a Gothiclean, but he was kind of like, there were those out there that kind of took him because in many ways of these impulses that he has, and they, mm-hmm. they took advantage of that. So I do think there are a lot of people that are, will hoist somebody else, be, hoist somebody up because there's a belief system around this concept. So right. yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, he became this person, you know, that at least because they, they they arrested him in large part. That was why they can now see him as somebody who was successful. And so I think that there was this like, you know, this this desire to right. you know, these support these followers to like say, like, look, you know, I think you did the right thing. I, I believe in your your version of that. But this is a stage of his life when the story opens where he's he's trying to explain that he didn't. But of course, nobody wants to hear that. It's too late right. now. He he was, he was a cog in this this uh this this conspiratorial uh, wheel. It is amazing. And it's it's wild to think about the fact that someone might, you know, people have this in, interior, I mean, this interiority that no one knows yeah. about, you know, they don't know what's going on in the, in the mind of their chosen leader. We're running out of time, darn it. And yeah. <laughs> I have all these follow-up questions. We haven't mentioned, I'm just going to shoot some quick questions right before. Yep. We have to I'll answer them quickly. Okay. Ulrich, what's his role in the story? Yeah, Ulrich is uh, sort of the, the ghost of Christmas uh, future. You know, <laughs> here, here's a version. Here's a version of a man that uh, is a local. He's lived here. He 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 knows this place. You can't come into my space and, and act like you know a thing because you don't. And so he's the he's the one that has you know put a stake in the ground of this world. And he is gonna you know in, in some ways kind of manipulate, try to guide this person who he sees as as weak into mm-hmm. the, the position of being someone who believes in, uh, in this 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 conspiracy theory. So he, in my mind, was the, the, the tour guide for the the dark stuff that that the story is is going to explore. Right. OK. And where did you get the the whole idea of the mirror mask or the reflective mask? Is that a a trope I, w- I wasn't aware of or did you? Did oh, no, just... I just made that up. I mean, you know, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Well, when I started trying to think about the logic of this, the moment I put that that toothpick in that Ziploc in the beginning, I knew there was going to be a match in there at one point too. And and so so I mean, again, like I said, my my goal here is to take trouble and to escalate that trouble and to push mm-hmm. it to to whatever space I can that will will maybe maybe kind of push the reader outside of, of comfort zones. And so so for me, then like, well, well what else about it? And, and so so. I, it, it's not a coincidence. I mean, I wrote this sort of in COVID time, and, and we're all wearing masks, and there's there's something right. humanizing about that even as we're trying very much to protect ourselves and and i think that we, we, for a couple of years of wearing masks all the time I, I started looking at people differently and uh, i looked at them without some of the expressions that i've obviously grown used to so so the mask was also just to me it made sense because it was something i was actually wearing and and so so i, I don't know that it's not that i was cognitively trying to kind of bring covid right into the story but but masks were on my mind and right. so I, I tried to, and they really are so easy to kind of you know, create. And also, of course, there's there's the uh, there's anonymity when when we're wearing a mask. So I wanted that too, right? Like all the different masks that that we wear as we transition from the different people that we are, right? Mm-hmm. That to me thought I could kind of gain some of that. Again, my move always, Kelly, is to try to use something physical to kind mm-hmm. of capture that that emotional stuff that I'm after, and, and that physicality to me it seemed something that that a reader might be able to to understand, or at least you know because we've been we've been living with masks. 
Yeah. And I was also thinking that that's something that people do a lot too. They look for something reflected back at them that they identify with or understand. And so we're always in a way looking for some sort of reflection of ourselves. So I don't uh, think there's any question about that. That, I think that's right. We we want to find versions of ourselves. I mean, you know, it's this tribalism that we kind of slide a little bit further and further into, and there's a huge danger in that, you know, not that I'm trying to make this polemical, but for sure, I I look at that as, as dangerous. And um, the more we're susceptible to not seeing others as empathetic and fully formed, the, the, uh, the less chance we have, I think of, getting out of the the, the mess that we're uh, finding ourselves in from time to time. Oh, it's so true. Uh, And, you know, the the part where he um, is drinking the beer and or the what he thinks is the non-alcoholic beer and turns out to be actual beer um, was kind of a jarring moment. Just I've known so many people in my family, et cetera, who've been in addiction. And that's one of those dreams Mm -hmm. that people have, you know, or nightmares like, oh, I, I wake up and I'm using again or and yeah. uh, so that was just such a, I just wanted to say something about that section because it's so effective. And well, I and think it's that, really hard. You know? Yeah, I think it's very hard. And and, and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that luckily I don't have the disease. So, but, mm-hmm. but it is in my family, you know, it's in a lot of people's family. And, you know, the smallest step can just uh, you know, really just change everything else in, in your lives. And, you know, there's, um, there's real sadness in it. And, and, and I was trying to parse through some of that sadness that I felt, you know, the loss of my father. And so, so, yeah. so, so some of that stuff kind of came through. And so that that's where that scene was kind of born out of that bit. Well, and that um, Sarah and the boys that really humanizes him, you know, and the fact that like a moment like that where he's not even really cognizant of what he's doing can yeah. ruin, you know, they, they've been on a upward trajectory and then it was over yeah. after that. So, all right, I know we're out of time, but let me ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you thought I, you know, you'd want to talk about for sure in this story? Oh. No, definitely not. You know, um, you covered a lot of ground there. I hope I, got, I answered <laughs> some of those things. You know, I I I realize that it's a it's a this this story has a pretty high conceit. It's it's you know that I'm asking a lot of the reader. You know, my hope is always that it's it's grounded by a few scenes that can can humanize and kind of pull a little bit at at, uh, at our thoughts, including that one. You know, and and um, you know, just trying to to think of in terms of like there's the for me, I think that the the moment that I worked on probably the most was the moment where you know Sarah you talks about how there's this intruder sitting at the edge of her bed, and yes. you know oh that my was gosh. that was in many ways the moment of the story where I, I wanted to kind of you know see like there's some real danger here. There's something that's you know unsettled about that. So yeah, so I don't know. I to, well, talk, talk about yeah, talk about that for a second because he doesn't even realize what, what's happened there. So tell me how yeah. you work through that really quick. Yeah, you know, this is uh, one of those strange things, Kelly, that was true, right? So my, my mm-hmm. mom told me uh, about a time in which she woke up and, and uh, you know, my dad was, was, this is after they'd been divorced and he was sitting there at the edge of the bed. So that that was that was born wow. out of the truth, actually. Yeah, not, not a lot of years true, but that one yeah. was. And so, you know, in, in her telling me that story, it, it gave me uh, a better sense of some of the things maybe that that he was, that she was undergoing that mm-hmm. I, as, as a kid, sleeping in the other room and had no idea about. And so- that that to me that was a little bit at the uh, the epicenter of of the heart of the piece and again i guess that's what i'm saying that if there's enough moments of those moments that are that are like really like important emotionally to me then some of the other stuff hopefully um it's worth the time to read and kind of you know pick through and, and try to work through um uh, you know as a reader well absolutely it was very poignant and i felt so much empathy for him and it did not come across as didactic at all it just was a beautiful story so i think you did a really great job of of balancing everything and what are you working on now 
Yeah, I've got a novella that will be coming out in um, uh, fall of 24. So we're just now kind of wrapping it together. Um, so it's going to be a book that's got four authors in it, myself and, and, and three other writers. And it's a it's a book of novellas. It's called Proper Imposters is the name of the, of the book. So, you know, it'll, I'll send you a link when it, when it comes out. At, at some. That sounds so great. And I will update the blog at that point so people can look on there for it as well. Oh, okay, thanks.